What's up, freaks? Welcome to the Freaks TV original podcast. This is episode two. We're going to talk about a recent incident that happened between a photographer and Arch Enemy, as well as uh, give you a little history on where Freaks TV comes from, how we started, what we've been up to the last few years, and where it's heading. Let's do this, freaks. What's up, freaks? Welcome back to the Freaks TV podcast. This is episode two. If you're still with us, you might have heard our super long top albums of 2018. We hope you check that out. If not, jump in there. Today we have a couple of things on the plate. I've got Valerie Blaze in the studio. And Kai Metzner. Chris Scott. From the Freaks TV regular team, the A-team. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, something that's trending at the moment, or at least something we read this morning in the news, and that like seemed like an interesting topic for us as film photography people working in the music realm. And then, for the last section, we're going to kind of give you a brief overview of the history of Freaks TV, where we've been, what happened in the last year, and what our next steps are just to give the new listeners an understanding of what this whole Freaks TV business is about. So, we read an article this morning. Yes, we did. About one of the most famous metal bands working at this time, Arch Enemy. Mm -hmm. And in the article, it was written by a photographer who had a, a bit of a conflict with the band after he took some photos of the singer and shared them on Instagram after a concert. Um, she also shared them. And then the person who produces the clothing that she wears on stage also shared the photo with a link to buy the clothes that she's wearing. And his issue was not that anybody else shared his photography, but that somebody did so in a commercial way. And he wrote... Uh, a direct message on Instagram to the merchandising company and said, you should pay me a license fee for the use or donate some money to a charity and we'll call it even because you're using this in a commercial way. And I didn't give permission for that. So then I think some back and forth happened until the management of Arch Enemy basically banned him from all Arch Enemy concerts for making such a fuss about this yeah well i think there is no really back and forth between the um the photographer and the owner of the clothing company she just directly forwarded his message to the band and then elisa answered but he thought that was still the owner of the clothing company then they realized that that wasn't this lady but i was actually someone from the band yeah then uh angela the manager of Arch Enemy replied with a rude tone. I think there are two things happening in this. For one, there's always this, and we've experienced this ourselves at Freaks TV. There's also often a disconnect between conversation that band members have with the press versus management or labels. And so it's often that like things get totally confused like we've showed up to shoots before where, you know, the band wanted us to come and it was approved, but then the tour manager didn't know or management didn't know and chaos ensues. 
and this situation feels a little bit like that, that too many people were involved in this email chain until somebody on the arch enemy side reacted in a kind of defensive way and banned him from make for, for making a fuss about somebody sharing this photograph. What do you think, Kai, as a cameraman? So, <clears throat> I mean, you already mentioned there are two things happening. And the one is the disconnection of the band management and press or media people, which always is a problem and maybe always will be because management always want to protect artists. And the second thing I'm guessing what you wanted to talk about is um, that today we have like certain media gets certain different treatment on the internet, like the copyright protection of audio versus the copyright protection of photographs because everybody can easily share stuff and the border between professional photography or professional publishing just vanished and is not there anymore because anybody can post any photo on Instagram and then it is published. It's on the net. So the person already is somewhat publishing a photo. And this is also the stuff happening here. So just... From not from a photographer's perspective, but from the perspective of the person who designed the costume. She maybe did not have something bad in mind. And I guess if she had like shared it privately, the photo, and said, oh, look at this nice photo this guy took, um, uh, and she's wearing my costume, then the photographer wouldn't have minded her sharing the picture. But yeah, as soon as something or some party person Uh, or business comes in and there's some kind of cash interest there, then it becomes an issue. And this is what the photographer clearly stated there. So, And it's not easy to answer because the European Union is on the way or did this this year, 2017, to make some regulations about collecting data from persons and making a photo and is also collecting data but there is still some uncertainty in our yeah profession whether we still can do concert photography or can we only photograph the bands can we photograph the location or the people there still nobody knows so to come to a point maybe each creative work music pictures art whatever should have the same protection on the internet and an artist should get some revenue at one point if it's used in a commercial way yeah my second thing was actually going to be that <laughs> i mean you mentioned it i mean it's to me the second part was that it was it was a commercial use not just a share from a fan or from the artists themselves or even the label for that matter um, which he you know gave permission and didn't stop anybody from doing that and even wrote together with Alyssa about about the use and you know Alyssa wrote in one of her messages that like a lot of her friends will be sharing this and if that's you know a problem for him then then she won't share any more of his photos but I think the point is is maybe the merch you know designer is a friend of hers and is one person with an Instagram account and then creates this costume but replace that one person with a, a bigger company like Apple or Pepsi Cola or whatever and then I mean, the rules don't apply the same, you know, then it's, it is somebody that is a bigger brand using it for commercial purpose, you know, 
So I guess if you are a business and you use it to to drive traffic to a place where people can purchase something, then it maybe crosses a line. And I think that that was the point he was trying to make. And he was met with, yeah, some, you know, being banned from ever photographing any of their shows again because he made a fuss about this one thing. That's where I feel like the, the miscommunication event happens because I feel like nobody... I mean, the article I read, he wrote from his perspective. So we only have his perspective. Mm -hmm. And that was very clear. But as I've seen it happen to us, when we are writing with multiple parties who all have different agendas and different ideas for what the band should be doing or not doing, these messages get lost. And especially if somebody translates the message to somebody else then, you know, it changes, the message often changes, so... I think no one really understood what the other person was saying at some point because we we, we don't know what this uh, designer thinks of it because she's never answered. She just, when she received this email, she forwarded it to the band. So we don't, she didn't even try, which makes me think that she's a friend of the band to have such a direct communication with them. And... I think that would have been nice to have a like her point of view or an answer from her as a business owner using this picture to promote her work because she doesn't seem to be a, a big designer. I mean, she's not Gucci or whatever. I mean, she seems to be a smaller artist. So I, I think it's just a big mis misunderstanding. And also, I, I think... I mean, Arch Enemy is such a big band that they probably deal with like bootleg merch and all of this legal stuff all the time. They probably don't even like take the time to really read the small details and they just answer like yes, no. I think that they're so busy and they must deal with this on a daily basis. They're like, oh, so you just want money like everyone else because everyone just wants to make profit on their back. So maybe they just don't. They ha maybe they just didn't take the time to just read it correctly, or maybe they just read it too fast. Maybe it's also this like naivete about you, the use of Instagram and sharing, you know, other people's photos because that's the culture of Instagram that you can, you know, yeah. regramming. I mean, this is like a common practice, regramming, and I think that that's the the maybe the position that they're taking is that everybody regrams we gave you permission to come to the show and film and we give you exposure by regramming your photos so mm. that's your yeah your compensation but i think what they're neglecting is his point which he seemed to clearly try to make that in one case somebody was using it for a commercial purpose whether yeah. that is a friend or whether that is coca-cola Yeah. It's still no, somebody right. using a photo and selling product. I mean, if you would take that photo and then create a Facebook ad to sell, I mean, this would be illegal. It would not be allowed. Yeah. Mm. I I even see it the other way around on Instagram because uh, I think the view many people on Instagram have that, yeah, everything happening there is private. You can share everything. Nobody gets anything out of it. But for me, it's like the other way around that this is something professional. You publish stuff on the internet. You should, even a private person should take care of personal rights of other people. 
you put up there and uh, the gray area only is for like the private people if i take a photo of somebody and i only have 100 followers and the other person i know and is okay then it's cool but it clearly is a professional broadcasting or whatever you want to call it tool with uh, people there who have millions of followers and who make their money there so you this is some form of broadcasting so the same rules apply there it's not it should not be and is not a lawless uh, ground and the second thing is what you just mentioned exposure and this comes back for me as a Uh, videographer or photographer this is like what everybody thinks that they can pay people who create content with exposure but yeah nobody can live from exposure even musicians cannot live from exposure so credit and a copy of the film yeah, yeah. and and one third angle on the thing we have the costume designer also as a creative person so I also have some understanding for her that she saw her work out there so in a little percentage somebody also gained something like attention to this photo which by the way was great photo yeah, yeah it's a really really great photo there's a lot of photography concert photography out there great picture and so somebody also got attention because of the nice costume she made so how about if you you see some kind of backdrop there, maybe there was a painter involved in that backdrop. Should he get like some money because his backdrop mm. was featured? So it's it's very tricky. Yeah, and uh, we everybody we all have to find some some common ground on protection of all art forms and some clear rules. And I hope that some clear rules will uh, will come and hopefully. Uh, Europe-wide, and not that every country does his own stuff, because uh, yeah, the internet is not happening in only one country. So we we need some we we need some laws that apply everywhere. But going back to my first point, if this is also like friendly and personable, which is what you know the social media world has made this connection between media and bands and vendors and stuff, like oh, we're all just friends, we're all in it together, and like share and share and do and stuff then I think what would have helped here is like my first point, like the breakdown of communication and what you said, Valerie. Yeah. Maybe she could have just responded to the guy directly. I mean, maybe she was scared of the fact that he like said, oh, you have to pay me money. And yeah. then for her, that's probably a lot of money. In maybe, you and know. And we don't know what she wrote to the band. I yeah. Mean, if she just she said, might have hey, said, hey, this guy is threatening me. And, and this is, you know, if, if as a band, let's say this person is your friend, And she said, hey, I've got this email, he's threatening me. You already start reading the email with a negative point of view. Like, oh, yeah. this is not a nice person. He's trying to harm my right. friend and her work. So, And so maybe she, Alyssa came to protect her in a way and write directly back to the guy. Well, for, this is for what her, I think. Know? Because, I mean, if, I mean, I'm pretty sure Alyssa is a, is a busy person. She has a lot of things to do. Yeah. So if she takes time to answer to this guy on Instagram personally, it means she's probably like personally or emotionally involved in this. I know she had other costumes made by local designers in Montreal, where she's from. So she seems to, you know, support smaller um, artists, yeah. which is great. So she probably knows her personally and she just wanted to defend her. Yeah. 
And since we don't know what the designer wrote in the first place when she communicated with the band, I mean... Yeah, so you I have a know. breakdown of communication and then mm -hmm. when it's escalated to the top management of the band who are even dealing with even more crazy nonsense and then there's like this photographer who wants money for being allowed to photograph a show and then somebody sharing it, then I can see yeah. how maybe a knee-jerk reaction would be too. That make me think of uh, something happened a couple of years ago in New York. There was this exhibit of pieces of art And the guy actually just took pictures from Instagram. He took screenshots of the pictures, like random pictures, like selfies from people and like landscape. And he printed these pictures, like gigantic framed. And he built up an exhibit out of them. And he sold these pictures, mm. like thousands, thousands of dollars. And like, I think a, a newspaper made an article about this and someone... A girl recognized her face, her selfie, in the exhibit. I said, this is my face. Like, you are selling a picture of me, like $90,000. And she couldn't do anything because the guy actually modified. That was not the original picture, and he modified it. So that was not the, the primary work. So the girl had to see her picture, her selfie from her own face, sold $90,000 to a private person. So now there is a dude in New York with a gigantic frame of her face and she got $0 out of it. So she lost the lawsuit because it was not uh, stealing the price. It was like well, because the re guy repurposed art, yeah. right? It's like repurposed things that then become like another layer of art. Yeah, exactly. And because the screenshot, the artist... We'll say artist because he didn't say he did nothing. His screenshot was uh, included the, like th these icons at the bottom of the picture. That was not the original work, so that was like a new layer of layer of art. So she couldn't do anything against it. Yeah, I mean, this is a, something that comes up a lot for YouTubers. You know, as we've made you know films for YouTube or videos for YouTube and. When you use pre-existing copyrighted stuff, it's like where's the where's the gray area? Mm -hmm. it, you know, as a journalistic business, what's like sort of fair use? And I mean, these terms are you know they can only really be def defined by a judge on a case per case yeah. basis because there's no fast and hard rules. But yeah, oftentimes you can get away with creating a piece of you know art or something that's typically though that's nonprofit if you borrow from other people's works and like repurpose that for something else, but that's typically for like a kind of nonprofit. But that was a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. so you know now everything has evolved and yeah, it's changing. Changing so fast. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean it gets even more complicated imagine if the girl did not take a selfie but if she would have taken a photo of like a friend of hers and so the friend who thought okay that's just a photo for private use or maybe instagram then sees herself in the exhibition yeah so then she could maybe at some point be angry or even sue her friend for exposing her and broadcasting her did her friend have the right to do that and this is This is the gray area with the new yeah. media. And and on the bottom line, somebody's making money out of it. Instagram is making money out of its content. So with many clicks, should be maybe there some revenue? So should this is this is more of a question. I don't I don't have the answer to it, but should the classical 
laws of copyright and photography rights apply to Instagram? I'd say to some degree, yes, if it reaches a certain a certain point. But I mean, if again, a video, if a video, sorry, but if a no, video on, on YouTube has millions of clicks, where you just had a silly cat doing stuff, and you have ads in front of it, you get money. So maybe same rules should apply for Instagram because there are also ads. Okay, I guess uh, final word. I mean, now as as these laws are not clear and as the usage um, of this guy's photograph is not super clear except for the fact that somebody used it as um, a tool to potentially sell products, maybe it would have been nice if... Uh, you know, the management and him could have had a discussion like, you know, reasonable people and not just kicked him out of all shows and told him he's never going to work in this town again and CC all the promoters in Europe who, you know, may put him on some kind of a blacklist because he yeah. didn't want his work to be um, exploited. All right, coming up. We're going to talk about the history of Freaks TV with Valerie, Kai, and me. Stay Ooh tuned, la la. Freaks. All right, Freaks, welcome back to the Freaks TV podcast. This is still episode two, and now we're going to dive into a little bit of the history of Freaks TV Tell you a little bit about the things that we've done, where we've been, what we've seen, how we got here, and where we're going. And it felt appropriate to have Valerie and Kai here because they've been here. Kai's been here for sure since the since day zero. <laughs> and Valerie, when did you come on board? I think it's a bit unclear because I started with Munich Unsigned with you. Yeah. But with Frick Stevie... I think that was uh, 2015. Yeah, so you've been you've been here the whole time then. So yeah, probably. In my little notes here of outline of of what to do. I mean, the first thing we have to go back into the mists of time into what was called Munich Unsigned because there was the origin of all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And Munich Unsigned was a web series, a documentary web series about Munich bands. I started this because when I moved to Germany, I didn't know anyone. And so I joined a band and started to make friends and realized that there was actually quite a like large rock and metal community in Munich, which yeah. I didn't expect before because, I mean, you wouldn't look at Munich and think there is. And just in order to do something, because I come from a film world, you know, studying and working in New York I, and not knowing anybody in the business here, I decided, well, maybe I just start shooting some documentaries. So I borrowed my wife's little Sony camera and yeah, just started like meeting with bands and interviewing them. And I created this formula of interview, rehearsal room footage, playing songs, live footage, playing songs, and then some like load in and, you know, basic stuff. And then cut this together with a few pieces of music from the bands. And then that was like a little portrait. Actually, Munich does not have such a big metal scene, and you cannot blame a city for not having a big metal scene. It's not very big, I think, but it's quite friendly. And we are so fortunate to have a couple of uh, promoters in Munich, like the Chaos Squad crew, or the Eight Below crew, Raw, of course. It was a lot of work, but I met a lot of people doing this, made a lot of friends, and um, 
here comes the connections because I think we met at the Raw. Yes, we did. So there's a there's a metal bar in Munich called Raw, and I filmed there with the band called Smoke the Sky, mm-hmm. and then I did a special episode just about the Raw. Yeah. And I met Valerie there one time. Yeah. Because Marv, the owner, said, "Ah, Valerie's from Canada," and then we connected, and then the rest was history. And then Kai got in touch with me via YouTube Messenger. Who wow. uses that anymore? <laughs> yeah, so um, I was in bed one morning and I saw that uh, <laughs> band wow. uh, that I filmed uh, with. I followed them on tour. My Moon, the great My Moon, uh, shared a video. Uh, like a portrayal of them and uh, I saw it and I saw the channel it was like Munich Unsigned and I just before doing anything I like kept lying in bed and watched all the episodes and and thought oh cool this is something that I wanted to do all the time like make a portrayal of like the DIY scene and anything but in the end I always found out that I'm alone as a cameraman and that there are certain limitations of like telling stories so I never finished anything so I saw the channel and um, also that everything was in English gave it very international touch so um, yeah and there was no homepage no address anything so I just direct messaged on YouTube (laughs) and I think we really met shortly after yeah and um, I think that we already f- then filmed together one Munich assigned uh, episode, I think Waves. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was our first shoot. And you can see like that's that was technically like the last episode of the season. It was like episode 10. And you can see immediately like the jump in, in quality because, you know, it was be- me pretty much by myself, I think, for all of it until until you came on board. And and then you had your gear and better. We had better audio equipment too, I think. Then and I also saw uh, the quality in the in the videos before. Maybe the camera was not the best camera on the market at the moment that you used. Still, there was like storytelling, decent interviews. Uh, you picked nice locations. You told a story. You could tell that there was somebody uh, who knew his stuff. So, uh, and uh, having a fancy camera is not always uh, the key to good footage. So you also have to tell a story. Yeah, and then Valerie would have come in around this point because after this, suddenly we had a lot of people that were wanting to be on shoots and the shoots got all of a sudden much bigger with like two camera operators, sound, additional help because then we Mm -hmm. filmed um, God's Ground. Ground. That Um, that was my first shoot with you guys. This was right at the end of Munich Unsigned, so... And uh, yeah, just to make a long story short, we did this for a while and, you know, struggled to find sponsors. I think we tried to get some sponsors to like kind of keep it going and it just, audience wasn't really that big and, you know, YouTube. So we thought, well, why don't we pitch some uh, cool ideas like this to, you know, people we know and like Vice and other sort of media companies. And this didn't go very well either. Uh, yeah, we had in the middle, we had this post rock series that I went to the Frankfurt Music Mesa to try to get sponsorships with gear companies and stuff. And it just didn't, it didn't go anywhere. 
and uh, we got tired of waiting on people to say yes or no, so we decided to start our own channel where we produce our own shows, and that was the birth of Freaks TV. I mean, yeah, and even with Munich Unsigned and the birth of Freaks TV, I think we always thought of this like simple recipe that um, there are bands and there is music which we want to portray and they want to be portrayed, but they will and cannot pay for us and uh, record companies also will not pay for us and the viewers will also not pay for content seems like point. a real sound business idea that we um, have <laughs> so yeah so where is somebody that could pay sponsors and i mean yeah. the the shoots uh, it wouldn't be not so expensive to 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 sponsor us but that's of course it's it's like the the vicious circle that we always talked about not many viewers no money for advertising so mm. yeah. and and the first show idea it was like how do we do something that's that's like looks cool and high quality but not like an expensive shoot and we came up with the idea for ghost of the road which is this dreamy black and white Day in the Life of series where we shoot kind of B-roll of, of band getting ready to perform that night with the stage build and bit backstage and stuff. And then there's always this voice over happening. I think it's fair to say that it's a general 21st century trend that the world feels smaller to everyone. The media and the internet have made the world a smaller place. News travels faster. We're more familiar with what's going on elsewhere in the world now than we ever were any time in history. And I think being on the road is part of that. And in order to sort of start that, we kind of needed somebody that would help get us into the industry and, and open some doors for us in order to be able to get the bands. And that person was Marcel. Tenet from Guitar Magazine. I was working freelance for the Guitar Magazine and I asked him what he thought of the idea of Ghost of the Road and he suggested that they be the, the, the presenter of the show, like a media partner. And, you know, d together with him, we contacted promoters and labels and stuff to like, you know, get them interested. And I think we showed them some Munich Unsigned stuff at first, but once we shot the first episode of Ghost of the Road, that was pretty much all we needed to to convince them to let us come. Mm. I have to I have to jump back here because you mentioned the first episode. So well a first there was a very, very first ep episode. It happened very fast that Marcel came up with the band. Yeah. It was not the first episode of the first season, but um it happened very fast. Uh, so Randy went on his own with with his ideas. And uh, when he showed me the episode first, I was astonished because it looks great. And that also is also a reoccurring pattern that Randy events are like styles and series. And there comes the American and the German side. And he's like, you have this idea and with black and white and slow motion and photographs and we knew all this. And I was like, nine, nine, no, nah, I won't work. <laughs> Always the cameraman technical side. And then we do it. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's fucking cool. Uh, <laughs> and I, I had to admit it all the time. So, yeah, kudos to you for inventing mm. all this stylistic formats. Yeah, it was... It was It really blew not only my mind, so this was one of the big door openers, the episode with... Gotthard. Gotthard, this, with 
Swiss metal legends, yeah. So then we came up, I think, with DIY Freaks was like maybe the first, second series. You mean that followed Ghost? Yeah, I mean, we shot it simultaneously in 2015. Mm. So then the first DIY episode must have been uh, Death by Audio, Oliver Ackerman, mm -hmm. shot by your friend and partner in New York. Ted Weinbaum, yeah, he shot with Oliver in, in Brooklyn. was getting into like buying a lot of different effects and amplifiers and musical equipment was just cheaper and easier to come by at the time. A lot of it would break and you know maybe kind of trying to fix it. For a very long time, for years, it was just nothing but failure. And so it was like, I don't even know why I kept on trying to do it, but it would be like, oh, I think I'm gonna, you know, fix this guitar or something, it would just be worse. And then that was the, the concept behind um... Uh, DIY Freaks was to sort of portray pioneers of music technology and ideas um, in the scene and to kind of give them like a little mini portrait. And in that series, we also did Jordan Rudis, of course. And Albert from Decibel Magazine, yeah. Albert Mudrin. Mm. And Albert would later later join us and be a also a media presenter for an, another series that we'll get to shortly. So yeah, and then uh, I think in the same year, the 2015 year, we started the Delayed Cinema series, which was focused on post-rock and technically is the oldest Freaks TV series concept because this was the one that we tried to pitch to gear companies at the Music Mesa in Frankfurt all those years ago. Because if, if there is one music style where you can't live without gear and especially guitar pedals, it's instrumental post-rock. It's something which we don't forget is that it's a great privilege to be able to be the four people creating this. You're just creating an environment for people to like commune and congregate together and everyone is just out of there, whatever it is they've done all day, whatever it is they're in that week. I sort of feel it's essential that there's no barrier and everybody feeds off everybody else and it's this just big energy feedback loop. Whenever a show really crescendos, it's like the crowd are as much responsible for it as, as we are, you know. It's, that's like so maybe Kai can say something about like, we really wanted to make this one like visually crazy and, and interesting and I think with Ghost of the Road it was like minimalistic, black and white, dreamy, DIY Freaks was more, you know, standard documentary TV, maybe. But we really wanted to get crazy with with making something that reflected the sort of music of post-rock in a visual way. Yeah, I mean, the first idea, first style idea uh, came obviously from you, not from me. Uh, and that was to include... Of course. Of course. And that was to include slow-mo footage. Um, and of course, my first response to that was, nine, <laughs> nine, that doesn't work. And my response to that was, come on, trust me, trust me, it's going to work, it's going to be awesome. 
because I was I was thinking more in this classical thing that you wouldn't shoot a concert in slow motion. And also, I mean, this is three years ago now, slow motion was not that big of a deal. Now, like every camera down to an iPhone or any other smartphone, there are not only Apple phones out there, uh, can shoot slow-mo. So everybody's doing slow-mo all the time. So it's much more widely used. I think it was not that widely used back then. Also from the short technological excerpt, I think the only camera capable of slow-mo back in the day that we had was the GH4, like with 96 frames. You still can see some noisy, grainy stuff, but it still served a purpose. And then there was like a second technique on the other side, which we uh, then named the blurry burst. Like uh, I think quick. this was also my idea. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, no. This one. I had this, this idea not. years ago for Dream Theater music video. But I already. I can. I can show you some uh, Vimeo videos, which I showed you back in the day, where I used the technique. Um, Break it up, Valerie. Break us up. We're. <laughs> We're, getting, we're, we're nerding heated. out. So there was like slow motion and then there was the use of photography. We also had now um, like what you call it more sit down interviews with the band where you could see the faces or could not see the faces in one point. It's like <laughs> it's an inside joke. Sorry, kid. Yeah, this was uh, another step uh, visually and looking back already like great concepts with great visual aspects. Ghost of the Road, all the dreamy stuff which was copied from other people, from us then. And um, then I think Delayed Cinema was like a good basement for other series we created that would explore different visual styles, I'd say. I would say if, if we did anything was maybe that we showed people that you can make high quality content for this kind of music, which was which was lacking when we started, which was why we started it. Because we felt like, other genres, maybe like indie, pop, hip hop, we're, we're getting cool documentary content from places like Vice, but like, you know, like everyday metal was mm. kind of just getting crappy video content footage and shitty on the couch microphone in your face kind of interviews. And okay, that was 2015. So let's keep moving forward. Otherwise, we'll never get through this. Um, <laughs> so. I think before this show, maybe people didn't know that, but I'm a huge prog fan, and I think I, I was really eager to do some kind of a... Why are you laughing? Is it... Uh... Everyone knows it. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, now now the cat's out of the bag. Oh, yeah. Um, and I wanted to do something with prog, but it was like, okay, do but I don't want to just do Ghost of the Road. I mean, we had some prog artists on Ghost of the Road, like Stephen Wilson and Devin Townsend. But I wanted to do a show that also, again, could like visually personify uh, progressive music. And so we came up with the concept for Into the Machine, which was kind of like making progressive music a machine that's built up of all these moving parts that come together and make this complex music. Genreless. It's a genre in itself, I think. The idea of progressive music is that it should be genre-less. But yeah, so but I think with the concept of Into the Machine, so it was it was like slow-mo on-camera interview that we that we kind of stole from Delayed Cinema, but it had one extra effect in the movie making, 
in the edit. It was I, split screens. Yeah, this is, this is all I, I remember. Well, that's not all I remember from Into the Machine, but this is something that really, I don't know, that stayed with me. This These different pictures in the frame changing all the time. Yeah, for me, that was like the the like the special sauce was like to have this kind of the building blocks of all these like you know guy talking get slow guitar you know audience like you saw like the building blocks of the progressive music was like to be done in the edit and i remember we did the first episode with opeth and we released it and it was a huge success for us i mean i think we never saw so many views coming at one time but i remember a few people were like ah there's so many split screens and it's like so chaotic. It's hard to watch. Like, I know why you're doing it, but do less of it. It's like Prague. No. All of the yeah, different no layers. You would, you would not talk to Michael Ackerford. Ah, I know why you're doing so many layers, but can't you just stick to three chords? Why do you need 32 tracks of music yeah, for this and, song? And why the odd time signature, please? No. Yeah. So, and I think that Into the Machine was maybe the 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 series that made the most like true freaks tv fans because the people from the prog scene really embraced the the show and we made a lot of new friends um in the bands and in the press and people from all over that just they love progressive music and they're part of that family and they connected to that show so then we really had like freaks tv fans mm. who you know, a few years later when we would do the Dream Theater Images and Words documentary that we shot last year, some comments on there were like, hey, cool that the Freaks TV folks did this because our logos were in it so they could see that. It was kind of cool, you know, like a Dream Theater video and people recognized us. So, And I'm sure that's because they were prog fans. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, we were super lucky to get, I think, already for the first season into the machine the biggest names in Prague that toured uh, in 2016 15 what was it 2016 January was when we released so the winter of 2015 we started shooting yeah and I mean yeah everybody was on tour that year somehow so from Opus to Between the Bird and Me and Haken and Stephen Wilson again Devin Townsend he agreed to let us come back yeah, I mean, this was like this doubled our our viewers on 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 YouTube. This doubled like our subscriber base after the first. I think, I think in the first week of January of 2016, we doubled all the YouTube subscribers we had from the first year, and it was pretty much just because of the Opeth. We did something right with that one, I think. Yeah, and wow, we had big crews. So um, yeah. I mean, Opeth. Only you and me did it, but uh, when I remember, like, Periphery or so, so um, that we had, like, Chris from the Smoke the Sky on Sound, Valerie was also... I wasn't there. There, but you were on a lot of the, uh, lot of the other Into the Machine uh, yeah, shoots. What shoots were you on? On Into the Machine? No, I was back in Canada at that time. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. yeah. Quickly, but when we're speaking of big crews, because one big help and a big shout-out should go to Michi Baumberger, who... Um, yeah, shot a lot of episodes, main camera, or we uh, did it together. And uh, he also helped out with equipment all the time when we needed to. So he was, uh, yeah, a very, very big help on the whole Freaks TV story. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
My first shoot with you were, were um, Shining and the Entrenauts. Uh, okay, so that would have been season two yeah. of, of, of Into the Machine. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also around the time when we met Devin. I think he was in season two. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did 10 episodes in 2016. Yeah, so 2016 we did um, yeah Into the Machine, and that was uh, our media partner for that was Metal Hammer magazine. Uh, last week for the uh, top top albums of 2018, we had um, Torsten Zahn, the editor-in-chief of Metal Hammer here, to talk about his favorite albums. So they, they partnered and promoted that for us. Also in 2016, we started another series called Anchors to Asphalt, which was like the extreme metal version of Ghost of the Road, mm-hmm. where we also spent a day with a band and filmed them getting ready and doing this interview off camera, also kind of a one-man shoot thing. Uh, and then we used their music and it was more extreme editing style. Record sales nowadays, it's not really a source of income for musicians. So we had the most money that we earn is from touring. It's super important for us to bring our merchandise to the people and uh, they know that they can buy some unique stuff at the shows, which is much appreciated because this thing goes directly to us and that's great it's happening. Some venues, they start charging bands for selling their merchandise, which causes bands rising prices of the merchandise. That was three nights ago. Counting everything that we had to leave in the venue was 42% altogether. So this is becoming a bad trend between the venue owners and everything. It, it, it's becoming like a mafia. People should be able to, to get whatever they want for the prices that are fair. And that's where Albert Mudrian from Decibel Magazine came in as our presenter and then valerie got to interview him later too about the decibel tour right yes that was so great great interview great great guy back in montreal was it i was in quebec city yeah at that time but that i I saw the tour in montreal albert uh sent me there to see it was with uh creator that was great it was a great show so i went to montreal see the tour like on a wednesday had to take days off at the work. And then I did the interview with him. And Albert was just on the tour? I mean... He wasn't there. We did a Skype interview. Ah, you did a Skype interview. Yeah, right. he was at home. Yeah, I was going to say that States, I, yeah. I couldn't remember that. And I was like, why would he be on the tour? But... He wasn't. Now I know. And you so, had... yeah. So he sent me there to Montreal. And I then I came back to Quebec City. Did the interview with him about the tour. Well, m- mostly how how he, he does it, how he organizes this tour mm. every year and what it takes and all of the other projects from Decibel. There's so many things that uh, Albert is doing. So we talked about this and that was a written interview. I wrote that down for the uh, Freaks TV website. Yeah, so if you check out the blog on the freakstv.com website, mm-hmm. which is going to change soon, but I think the blog will still be there in some form. You can read that article. Yeah, it was a great interview. And then we created another series because we didn't have anything better <laughs> to do. A spotlight. Oh yeah, which was like the, yeah, you you again created the, it. the poor man's into the machine where we would film the band in slow mo, 
and then do an interview with the band on camera. But the only footage that we used of the person on camera was when they weren't speaking. We started in 2010. We were five students studying at the Music Conservatory in Kristiansand, um, uh, south of Norway. And we found out that we had similar interests in uh, music. Bands like uh, Meshuga, Dream Theater, Tool, and composers like Hans Zimmer. And we only did two episodes, Rendezvous Point and Fallujah. Yeah. Which you and Nadia... Nadia did the Fallujah episode. Yeah. And then we created another show that year. Is that possible? Uh, okay. Well, so I, I'm getting lost here. Staring into the abyss. Staring into the abyss. Was Kai's idea. So Kai, why don't you enlighten us on that show? I think the original idea is like, can I also create a series from the bands I love? Like <laughs> my personal Into the Machine. Like if Randy's favorite bands are all Prague and he creates a series. So can I create something for... Hipster black metal. <laughs> <laughs> Not that any of the bands featured there were hipster black metal. So we were super lucky to uh, to get, um, yeah, to get Deaf Heaven. Uh, Grammy, Grammy nominated. Grammy nominated. Uh, Deaf Heaven, super nice interview. And um, I think at first I wanted to go real extreme with the visual concept. Then we stepped back a bit and also uh, went for atmospheric, which I think was a mixture between Ghost of the Road and Delayed Cinema, but also sit-down interview. I think Black Case, the first time I heard about Black Case was maybe six years ago. Um, I wasn't really familiar with the term. I think Black Gaze uh, definitely is a genre that we can, uh, that we kind of belong to, even though it's hard to classify because we're moving on with our music and um, it's developing over the years, so, but we're definitely a part of that. It's a cool mixture of uh, the extremes of black metal and uh, the soothing uh, elements of, of post-rock and shoegaze. And um, what, what, what my real learning curve is uh, that al although I, I, I love and know the whole black metal scene and stuff, I'm not in that scene. And it's a very, very particular scene. Yeah. So many bands that we asked to film or that we wanted to, wanted to get were hard to get or hard to convince. And um, yeah. Of course, I mean, I'm not the first person to discover that. Maybe the approach was a bit too naive. In the end, it never wanted to be a series about black metal, more about anything that evolved from that. So what's the today's approach? Uh, sadly, sadly, we could not film with Oranzi uh, Pazuzu, uh, also one of my most favorite bands, So, uh, which I think also represent what, you now that take you now can take on black metal we will we will revive that yeah. definitely and uh, maybe think more sharpen out the concept a bit more and then we can we can really yeah we can evolve the series we were maybe yeah. just spinning our wheels and stretching ourselves a bit too far too because we had all these other series going and we created even another series in this year no yeah, uh, auto cappella. It's gonna take a lot to drag me away from you. 
There's nothing that a hundred men or more could ever do. I'll bless the rains down in Africa. Gonna take some time to do the things we never had. Oh, Capella. That's the best of them all. I still think all. this was the, still the same year, wasn't it? Well, you're right. And then, and then most of 2017 was what I always call the year of the app, where we tried to... And the thing we haven't talked about so far, and the most important part of the story, is that we never made any money with Freaks TV, with the videos. We did not? <laughs> well, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Guy. Um, and we were by the third year we were kind of desperate to figure out how to like maintain it and and like take it to another level so that we could sustainably keep people on and you know you know do the right thing and pay mm. people that were working on the show and of course some people can do this as a passion project but i mean what we were doing was not like just a blog where we go and review concerts i mean we were shooting and editing and yeah gear was being used and professionals were working and and so the the idea of the app came out of this was like maybe we need to make an app that generates income which can pay for the video content. And mm. I don't think I want to get into the story of the <laughs> development of the app because it's pretty boring. Um, but in the end, we wanted to create a sort of str uh, metal streaming platform with kind of like a Spotify for metal plus like a you know a news feed um the ability to like get merch we we tried to get into some incubators for that we did a lot of pitching and got into like the munich startup scene with this whole thing and like you know the business suddenly didn't we kind of shifted away from making cool documentaries into like how can we create an app that everybody wants to have and that we can monetize hmm. and um yeah I don't want to say we, we lost our course for that period, but the 2017 was like the year of trying that out and seeing if it was possible. And in the end, without the money to develop such an app, um, we, we certain we just weren't able to, to carry on with it. So, and, um, at the end of 2017, I decided to stop pursuing it because yeah, basically the last straw was that there was maybe a hang-up with using YouTube videos on the app and monetizing that went against Google's terms of use and, and yeah, snooze fest. Um, <laughs> so we stopped Freaks TV for a year, Yeah, pretty much. Um, we went on hiatus. I didn't announce it as a break, but I certainly needed a break because, yeah, we we produced like 80 films in three years and you know, tried to build this business and do all this stuff. And, you know, making making money with video is already hard. Making money with music is already hard. And all these things together, yeah, just needed a break. And I also had my own band to, to the, uh, my own new band to worry about. We had to, an album to record. Plug, shameless plugging. Shame. Shameless promotion. Uh, you, you noticed that music playing in the background. Where'd that come from? Um, and yeah, so basically, as this as the year of 2018 rolled by, I started looking more and more into podcasting and how we could expand what we do at Freaks TV in a medium that's maybe a little 
also a storytelling medium, but also one that's maybe a bit cheaper to... It's not cheaper. It'll just <laughs> we've just, we've discovered that by now, but um, but that we could expand what we do, and then maybe in the new year continue to shoot some some series, either new series or old series. And right now there's a poll on Facebook on our Facebook page where you can say which series you would like to see come back. And uh, so we're going to approach the whole funding model a little bit differently with a partnership we have with. A company called Stuus Media, and through Stuus, we're developing a number of video ch- uh, platforms and podcast platforms for music and culture and politics. So, Freaks TV is kind of being folded into this bigger thing, and hopefully, with this bigger project, we can monetize things across multiple projects and help the independent music project come up through some more commercial stuff. So. Stay tuned for that, but I can see everybody's eyes glazing over at this point, so let's get back to the middle. So, I think that's the long story short. We've talked enough about the history of Freaks TV. What's the future? That's, 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 the future is an open road, as they say, and what I think people can expect is that we're going to dive more into this podcasting thing. We'll have our Freaks TV original podcast, which is what you're listening to now, where we'll talk about current events, trending topics like the photography uh, issue that we talked about earlier, and maybe where we can do some like deep dive roundtable discussions about, you know, like a topic of the week sort of thing. Plus we'll have not, 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 not trendy at all. <laughs> None trendy at all. Special bit, sections. Yes, a bit nerdy. So, and one of those we will discuss in another podcast, but our own Valerie will take over with a historical podcast segment. segment. Oh, cool. Yeah. I would love to hear that one. Really? When I destroy bands because they, 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 don't, they don't use historical accurate facts. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so you will destroy bands? Not only is Valerie a journalist, but she's also a scholar the band of slayer. ancient... ancient <laughs> She's also the band I wish, Slayer. I wish. <laughs> she's retired. Uh, she's also an ancient history scholar. And yes. so she's going to be nitpicking um, your album lyrics and your concept albums Yeah. for their historical accuracy. Not to destroy them, just to show people that don't take lyrics for, for uh, actual facts because they're not. What and to see if the bands have actually made some research to write those those lyrics. Uh, asking for a friend, what is the band Slayer going to do with instrumental bands? <laughs> I'm going to think about that. <laughs> Are there instrumental bands with ancient historical themes? Mm-hmm. Or just historical themes. Or made up mythical themes about a goddess living in the universe. Are you shamelessly plugging your own band? <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> Pictures well, from the deer. I'm gonna add your band on the list. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. We'll we'll discuss that more in depth in in a future podcast. Yep. And Valerie's getting her research ready and her notes and her all of her things. And we're gonna get super nerdy. Also on the nerd topic, we have another show uh, called the Freaks TV Progcast, presented yes. by the Prog Space, 
where me and Dario Albrecht from the Prague Space, which is a blog for Prague enthusiasts with reviews and concert reviews and articles and more, we're going to do our own little Prague cast about what's happening in the Prague world specifically. So I think this will ap appeal to our Into the Machine fans and we'll also like veer away from the kind of like, you know, general metal subject and delve more nerd-like into the depths of the Prague Sea. And then we hope to do maybe also some more journalistic storytelling series where we break down the history of an album or band or genre and get like an oral history going on with interviews with people from that era, from that scene, people that were connected to it and stuff like that. So these will take some time as they're more expensive to produce, but we're working on that. On the video side of Freaks TV. Yeah. Uh, hey, welcome back, Kai. Kai has just returned. Um, once he heard audio, he dipped out. Uh, we're going to do... We don't know what we're going to shoot yet. We have one show. We're starting a partnership with uh, a certain company to bring back the Auto Capella series. Yes! Well, I mean, we, we, we put up a little, you know, Facebook post asking people what shows they would want to bring back. And I think there was a mix of Ghosts of the Road, Into the Machine, Auto Capella, Pipeline. I mean, we'll just see what happens, you know. I mean, maybe uh, the audience can let us know what they really want to see and yeah. what the bands are up to. And maybe you can also create eight new concepts <laughs> eight in one month, just in January. Yeah. And yeah, but I believe hey, in exciting. you. I trust you to do that. Yeah. I think it's time to step into like VR or 360 degree filming or something. <laughs> Maybe VR podcast, 360 degree podcast. All right. I think that's it. So this is the end of 2018. We're signing out and going on vacation. And then we come back in January and we're going to like blow this shit up. Nice. So, yep. Yep. Thanks, freaks, for joining me in the studio. Thank you, freaks, for listening in. And. Here's to 2019. Freaks out. The Freaks TV original podcast is produced by Stuis Media and recorded at the Moonbase Studios in Munich. It's produced by Janine Stengel, Blake Lewis, Kai Metzner, and myself, Randy M. Salo. Thanks for tuning in, Freaks. See you next time. Freaks out. Freaks out.